May God plant the word deeply in our hearts and make us fruitful in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I've been thinking a lot about photons lately. Photons, those little packets of light energy that the sun is always shining down on us. I've been thinking about photons because recently on the vestry, we've been discussing the fact that Farlander Hall's roof is leaking and will soon need to be replaced. And that, of course, is a major headache, but it also presents an opportunity because once we get the roof squared away, that would be an ideal spot to add solar panels, which would both save a lot of money on utilities and be a big way to help us care for God's creation. Now, this is a sermon, not a vestry update, so more about the roof another time. But my point is those photons. It's said that there's enough energy beating down continually on just 1% of our land surface to meet this country's entire need for power. They're coming down all the time, bringing light and warmth onto dirt and pavement and water and grass, humans and animals. Right now they're falling on a bare roof on Farlander Hall. And if they start falling on solar panels, they'll be producing usable energy. The photons are the same regardless. It all just depends where they land. God's grace is like that. Elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, Jesus reminds us that God is the one who makes the sun shine on the good and on the bad alike. And in this parable, Jesus has this sower who flings the seed out onto good soil and bad, into thorn bushes, and even right on the footpath he's planning to walk on. It's indiscriminate. It's extravagant, wasteful even. Now we have Jesus's own commentary on this parable in the second half of this reading, and he gives it a title. He calls it the parable of the sower. Parable of the sower. He doesn't call it the parable of several different kinds of soil. And it's easy to get hung up on the soil when we try to read this parable. We might start wondering about who is good soil and who is bad soil we might start to worry about whether we are good enough soil or how we might work harder to make ourselves better soil. But this is the parable of the sower, not the parable of the soil. And so perhaps our focus is really meant to be on the sower. Perhaps this parable is best read not as being about how we should strive to be better people, to make us worthy enough to be acceptable to God. Because if you think about soil, soil doesn't sit around striving to improve itself and pull itself up by its bootstraps. Soil is passive. It just sits there. It is what it is, rocky or soft. It can be improved, but only by the farmer not by itself. Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. So let's think about this sower. 
As I said before, he certainly isn't what you'd call efficient. He isn't what you'd call cautious with his resources. He doesn't seem to have prepared a careful spreadsheet to maximize his yields, although a good yield he certainly gets. But he seems almost careless. And that might remind us of some other things that we see and hear from Jesus. Because this is the same teacher who tells the story of the shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep by themselves in the wilderness just to go rescue the one who's in danger. This is the same Jesus who feeds thousands of people in the wilderness and does it so extravagantly that they have to pick up 12 baskets of leftovers after. Whatever Jesus is about, he doesn't seem to function primarily in the mode of cautious efficiency. Frankly, the way that he went about setting up his church doesn't seem to have been particularly efficient either. He chose 12 people to be his closest followers, one of whom betrayed him, all of whom misunderstood him. And the very leader of them all, Simon, he gave a new name, Peter, which basically means rocky. It's the same word root used for the rocky soil in this parable. And in fact, Peter, this leader of the disciples, seems to be the dictionary example of rocky soil. In Matthew's gospel, he springs up enthusiastically to follow Jesus. He rightly calls him the Messiah. He loves Jesus so much that after Jesus is arrested, he follows him to the high priest's house where he's being interrogated. But then in the moment, as the parable says, when trouble and persecution arise, when someone challenges Peter, he denies he even knows Jesus. And that shoot that sprang up so quickly, quickly falls away. Now, Peter didn't stay that way. God took Peter in the middle of his heartbreak and humiliation. And God kept working on him. So just as a seed that falls on bad soil or a plant that seems to have died might sit dormant for a time, but might grow once again, once conditions improve. So after the resurrection, Peter met Jesus again. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he became truly fertile soil. The leader of the early church and his preaching of the good news truly sprang up 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. God did that in Peter. God can do the same in us. It's not up to ourselves to make ourselves worthy. But the patient farmer can do it. Now, it takes nutrients to improve soil. And of course, some of the best fertilizer comes from things like manure. I live a few blocks from King's Nursery. And sometimes when the wind blows right, you know that you live a few blocks from King's Nursery. They have a big sign in the fertilizer section that says, if it doesn't smell, it doesn't work. And sometimes it's in our lives that I'll just say manure that offers the place where God can work. Sometimes it is most of all the experiences of failure 
or vulnerability or pain, where God works in us. Not that God desires for us to suffer, but that when we do go through the valley of the shadow of death, which as human beings, we do and will, that God is with us. And sometimes that presence of God in those times when we are most vulnerable can be the most profound experiences that shape who we are and how later on we can go on to serve God and others. Now it takes other things to make things grow as well, besides manure. I don't wanna stretch this analogy too far, but it does take water and we might think of the water of baptism and the nourishing water of life that Jesus promises to those who follow him. And it takes those good old photons. It takes sunlight. We might think of the light of Christ, the light of Easter, the light of resurrection. In all these things, it's Christ who is the farmer. It's Christ who is working always to improve the soil, even as it is Christ who is scattering the seed of the word, the seed of grace, the seed of the insistent call of God to us and to the whole world, to live into God's dream, to become people of justice and beauty and abundance of life. It is Christ who is the farmer, not us, and yet, there is a way in which we do participate in that work. Because after all, we are members of Christ. When we are baptized into the church, we become members of Christ's body. We become a part of him. And what he does in the world, he often chooses to do through us. So in a paradoxical way, even though it's never about making ourselves worthy, we can still participate in helping the great farmer improve the soil. We can do it in our own selves when we engage in spiritual practice, which after all is a big part of why we are here. Gathering on Sundays for worship is spiritual practice and it fertilizes us. Prayer in private and in groups is spiritual practice learning intentionally about our faith, studying scripture, studying the history of the church is spiritual practice. Service is spiritual practice. Those corporal works of mercy I talked about a couple of weeks ago, feeding the hungry, giving shelter to those without, and also that broader work of advocating and working towards a more just society and world. That is spiritual practice and it works on us, not just on the outside. Giving is spiritual practice. When we give, we are fertilizing our hearts. And Sabbath rest, rest is practice. And we can also help the great farmer improve the soil around us, improve the whole world by speaking out for truth and by practicing justice and mercy. Where is God at work right now? Where is the seed of the word being sown? Where is soil that can receive it? 
Where is soil that may right now seem rocky or inhospitable? But where that seed might even lie dormant for a time and yet still might flourish under the right conditions. Even now in what may seem an unseasonable time, a time when we are isolated from each other and when we can't do so much of what we are used to thinking of as our work as the church, when our society is rocked by crisis, now too, the sower is flinging the seed all around. Where are those seeds taking root? Maybe still unseen. What sprouts of God's reign are starting to grow? <laughs>